Hi, everybody. It's Bean. Welcome to an all-new Great Moments in Weed History. It's our final show of 2023, and per long-standing tradition, that means we'll be looking back at the year in weed and making predictions for what 2024 will bring. Basically, I just drilled a hole in a crystal ball, turned it into a bong, and now we're going to smoke the future, man! My guest for this cannabis-fueled exploratory journey will be none other than David Downs, senior editor at Leafly. David is one of the top cannabis reporters working today, and he's also someone I've known and respected for more than a decade because, like myself, he loves both weed and journalism. Full disclosure, I've written many features for Leafly over the last five years, including, I have to say, some of the articles I'm most proud of in my career. As the top editor over at Leafly, David Downs covers this plant, culture, and industry from every angle. His reporting a few years ago on the health crisis around dangerous additives in unlicensed vape pens was among the most important and impactful writing about cannabis in the legalization era. He also gets out in the field and deep in the jars, including when he is identifying the Leafly Strain of the Year. That is an award that he just announced for 2023 and which I've not coincidentally got rolled up and ready to light up just before the theme song. But first, a quick thank you to everyone who supports the podcast on Patreon. You are all 100% what is keeping this show going. One of my New Year's resolutions for the podcast is actually to make these pleas for support a lot shorter. So I'll just say please visit greatmomentsinweedhistory.com and see what you've been missing. Secret Seshes, the video version of every episode, signed books, and best of all, we have built a really fun and mutually supportive community online. All of that is at Great Moments in Weed history.com. Also, uh, whether you've got a few bucks to throw in on this shit or not, please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. Now, on to the year in weed and predictions for 2024. In so many ways, it's going to be a wild year. And my first prediction is that weed will help us all see our way through. Weed is our ally as a medicine for the body, mind, and soul, as a connection to nature, as an aid to spirituality, and as a way to authentically connect with one another and to access human compassion. So may you be high, healthy, and happy in the new year. And don't forget, you've got to have something special rolled up and ready to burn when the clock strikes midnight on New Year's Eve because that joint is going to set the tone for your whole weed year. Right now, personally, I've got the Leafly Strain of the Year rolled up and ready to blaze, but wait, what? I'm getting one last psychic transmission of 2023 from the Great Moments in Weed History podcast universe. And it is telling me that many of you out there listening are not as lit as you'd like to be at this moment as we are about to embark on the final episode of the year and uh, if you don't know me by now, you will never, ever, ever know that all you need to do, my friends, is please say it with me. Hit pause. And as always, you can use that time at your leisure to roll yourself a joint or to split a blunt or to pack a bong or to endabulate a dab. Eat as many edibles as you feel it's wise to eat and not one edible more. Whatever it takes to get you where you want to be, because I promise you this. When you hit unpause, because you're ready, we'll all be ready for another great moment in weed history.
Downs, welcome to Great Moments in Weed History. Thanks. Thanks for having me, uh, Bean. I appreciate the chance to look back and reflect and look forward with you. Thanks for having me. Let's start the 2023 Weed Year in Review somewhere very fun. One of your biggest jobs over the course of the year at Leafly, of course, is keeping track of all of the plethora of beautiful cannabis strains on the market, finding those trends, what's hot up in the hills of Humboldt and what's flying off the shelves for the whole country. And you've got to come up with a strain of the year. And I'm hoping that you can tell me a little bit what's involved in the process of making that selection. And then, of course, the big reveal, what is uh, the strain of the year for 2023? Yeah, I think uh, no one like Leafly can take the qualitative and quantitative approach we can. I got a big travel budget. I get to travel the world and smoke the greatest ganja from the greatest growers and breeders that they can hand to me. Uh, We got literal file cabinets full of it over here. And don't tell the BCC. But um, in addition to going to the events and going to the contests and judging contests and getting that qualitative granular sense of what's great and why... We also have really best-in-class analytics over here, and by that I mean like 8,000 store menus on the site and 7,514 strain pages. Leafly's been around since 2010, and um, what we can look for is the fastest-growing new strain on Leafly menus, and this strain uh, increased its presence on menus uh, by 60x year-over-year. You know, to unpack that a little, we can see these menus and see growth over time and pick out uh, ones that are popping. In terms of new, we're looking for stuff that's like in the last couple of years in terms of a strain's life cycle, not something that's a like a stable hit maker, like a GMO or a Gary Payton. Um, we're digging into the cultivar and what the genetics are and how they reflect what's going on and what's hot right now. Leafly's just humanity's weed discovery engine. And so we have all this data in the background we can draw from. And this strain was the most frequently mentioned new strain that was recommended by bud tenders this year. It's top 200 in traffic. It really uh, hits the center of the market in terms of a, a sickly sweet, synthetic, fumy, grapey, candy gas thing. Um, and then we saw it win a High Times Cup in Michigan for pre-rolls. And we saw the best growers in the country uh, grow it, whether it was Cam here in California, LA Family Farms, Doja Pack. In uh, Washington, Taurus and Scored and Freddy's Fuego. Um, and then we saw it all the way on the East Coast by Preferred Gardens and then by the breeder itself. So um, the strain also had a next level winning combination of badass genetics, but also distribution and marketing. And those are three like legs of the stool that make a strain be strain of the year. There's no shame in just putting out something great, but if you want it to catch fire and really increase exponentially and help dominate the cult the conversation around cannabis it's got to have those aspects to it um and then we got to thank all the growers and smokers and breeders and readers and um, labs and everyone that is making this golden age of cannabis possible that allows us to like spend our time exalting stuff that's just blowing our minds so it sounds like if a tree grows in the woods (laughs) but nobody smokes it can't be the strain of the year it just really can't. No, um, the era of hoarding cannabis is over where you have a cut and you're getting $8,000 a pound and you never want anybody to find it. That's fine if that's your lane. But um, if you want to be transcendent and talked about and move the culture, you got to have the goods, but then you got to share them. And we've seen a lot of the popularizers of strains get a lot of success that way. They didn't breed it. They brought it to market and they amped it up and they got it in all the rap songs and they got it in all the stores and they created demand so a consumer could walk in and look at 200 strains and go, I've heard of this. Do you have any of this? Because um, that's what it is like now. There's 200 strains in a store. Imagine going into like 7-Eleven to get a Slurpee and there's 200 flavors of Slurpee and there's like nine papayas and you're like, I I don't even know if I want a Slurpee anymore. Uh, I, I, you know, no more ado, uh, which uh, could also be a great name for a strain <laughs> down the line. Lay it on me, David. What is the Leafly 2023 cannabis strain of the year? The Leafly strain of the year for 2023, uh, the sixth year we've done this, uh, the one that met all of those marks that blew our minds that we were ready to plant a flag in the sand and be like, this is the one, is Seed Junkie Genetics Permanent Marker. This strain is a hyper-refined gelato project, if you want to think about it that way. 
And we continue to see LCG and gelatos dominate the center of the bell curve in terms of taste. So this is a biscotti S1 crossed with a sherbet BX1 on one side. And then those two things married together were crossed with a Jealousy F3 or F2. And Jealousy was our strain of the year last year. So this is uh, a breeder going back to back and creating a dynasty in Leafly Strain of the Year. And, you know, as we as we get into some of the intricacies or into the weeds, if you will, of, you know, terms like F1 and just what lineage is, each plant is, is really a hybrid of two other plants, um, and you can trace those genetics. Uh, but as we also like to say on this podcast, when it comes to weed, the difference between some and none is still vastly bigger than the difference between this or that. So, yeah. you know, if you have some good cannabis in your life, that's the most important thing. But the more that you know about this, the more that you investigate all of these different strains and breeders, uh, one, you're going to find out that your favorite weed is probably weed that you have not even tried yet. Um, and you're going to enter this fascinating world that is really composed of people, uh, people who love to breed and grow this plant. And uh, may that be a big enrichment to your weed life next year. And uh, be sure to go out and score yourself uh, some permanent marker, whether that's at a licensed dispensary in a legal state or by any means necessary. Now, I have to... Uh, Throw in my biggest story of the year for 2023 in cannabis, and it sounds very simple, and it is, but I think it's a really important point to make, which is simply this year, significantly fewer cannabis arrests in the United States, and I would say around the world, than the year prior, and that is a trend that we hope and expect to continue next year and beyond as we continue to decriminalize this plant, as we continue to legalize this plant, and as we continue to change the way society views cannabis and cannabis smokers. Just to give you a, a, a quick heads up of how far we've come, how fast uh, cannabis arrests peaked in the United States in 2007 with over 870,000 arrests in That's a single right. year. Uh, for comparison, that number for 2022 was down to about 225,000 arrests. So that's more than a two-thirds reduction in those arrests. That is about half a million less cannabis arrests in a single year. And, you know, we talk on this program quite a bit about uh, some of the pitfalls of legalization in terms of how those legal markets are rolling out, how a uh, small business is being pitted against big uh, capitalized corporate entities, how consumers are often paying far too high of a price uh, for cannabis at the retail level. But we have to constantly remember this biggest benefit of legalization, which is the dialing down very significantly of these arrests. I was just in uh, Missouri and uh, in Kansas City, looking at their legal regime, and it was just so heartening to be in a former Confederate state that had such a strong like pot to prison pipeline to see that being dismantled in real time. And uh, I was just in New York, where the last time I'd been to New York, you had a valid fear of ending up in a jail cell for smoking in the street. Uh, not only a valid fear of that, but that happened to me. Yeah, dude, like to go there and to see the to just feel the freedom of smoking in Washington Square Park or around and knowing like that is not what's happening here anymore um, was it's a godsend and a new era. And I know New York's had a plenty of rocky issues, but the, the binary day to night reality of like, I'm afraid of going to the tombs tonight for marijuana and, you know, um, oh, let's smoke upwind of the park or downwind so we don't bother the kids. Um, just civilization. You, you just feel it occurring in real time. And you're like, thank you. And of course, what is driving uh, this 
reduction of arrests is the uh, legalization and decriminalization of cannabis in new places. And we definitely saw some of that in 2023. Yeah. Um, shout out Ohio. You guys fucking did it. The Bat Buckeye State, right? I'm tripping out. Ohio has genuine strains. We have bud tenders in Ohio from medical that were recommending like blue diesel. And there's some like biodynamic growers in Ohio and they grow mad other foods. So I'm sure they're going to just slay it when they get going. Also, we need to give a shout out to uh, Maryland and Missouri, which in 2023 both brought their legal regulated uh, systems online. And Woo! In- and uh, Delaware, where the legislature Hot damn. this year approved adult use legalization. Uh, and, you know, that is something that will be, say it with me, rolled out <laughs> in the future. <laughs> and even, you know, looking internationally, and this is something I want to address uh, in a coming episode of the of the podcast. In, in 2023, we saw Germany emerging as a country in Europe that is, uh, as of this broadcast, extremely close to implementing some decriminalization in the near term and looking at this uh, effort to legalize and regulate cannabis. And I think that would have profound impacts in Europe and around the world. Yeah, and Thailand really went off this year. There's a thousand dispensaries in Bangkok. Um, Barcelona for Spanibus was a sight to behold with 10,000 smokers from all over the world gathering there in um, Catalan country, which, you know, really goes its own way. It reminded me that like legalization is a spectrum and many people are on different spots in it. And a lot of times comes like decriminalization and the relaxation of laws and some civil disobedience. Um, But it can be real hit or miss. Like Spain's one country, but they're doing a whole different thing in Barcelona than elsewhere. And it just strikes me that like stoner culture has these like elemental forms which emerge whenever the laws recede enough to allow us to just do what we're going to do. Um, whether it's like retail or lounges or an event or a seed swaggle. It's just waiting to happen the second you take the boot off the cannabis consumer's, you know, um, chest or body and, and let them be them. And we had a year of that flourishing globally, you know. And I would I would go a step further, and I would say that often the, these societal changes are are spurred on by civil disobedience by people who are uh, even preempting those changes in the law to do everything from supply uh, cannabis medicinally. The whole medical cannabis movement in the United States was predicated on people. Uh, you know, engaging, as I said, in civil disobedience because they felt that that was more important than obeying a very misguided law. Uh, if you look at in Europe, as an example, the coffee shops in Amsterdam that still operate today in somewhat of a gray market uh, were all examples of civil disobedience. The seed uh, distribution that is now uh, pretty much legalized in the United States, and we'll talk more about this, began with people operating in the gray market and underground. So, you know, as we celebrate these victories and as we look forward to uh, an even more exciting and uh, envelope-pushing year next year, you know, it's it's important to recognize that uh, dynamic of people refusing, in essence, to obey laws that they know are wrong, leading, um, obviously, in some terrible cases to those people suffering consequences. But I think the arc of history has shown that that envelope pushing has led to these changes in the law as as society has to accommodate the world uh, that we're creating. And I think that's a great turning point to, uh, you know, cash the bowl on 2023 and let's uh pack a fresh one with our 2024 oh uh, uh, taking that literally on the uh other end of the call i think that's some permanent uh marker going up in smoke and uh i i want to just ask off the top what, what what's your biggest uh crystal ball full of smoke uh prediction for for weed in 2024 gosh we're really focused on strains. We continue to see the candy gas wave maintain itself, more purple weed 
in 2024. For hashers, there's a honey banana wave move, like building around candy banana terps. And um, for old school people, there's a pure gas wave building of people that just want beta caryophylline, limonene, pinene, chemi, gassy, diesel just face ripping, face off type stuff. And then we expect to see like a fresh Z wave of Skittles terps that are like third, fourth, fifth generation Skittles work. Right on. And I want to quickly just recommend for listeners, uh, again, if this sounds very complicated or a bit esoteric, uh, you can go back and listen to an episode of this podcast called Let's Nerd Out About Weed. <laughs> that is with uh, Alec Dixon, who is uh, the head at SC labs and that is the episode of this show where we really really drill into what all these terms mean and i think most importantly how that knowledge can enhance your appreciation of cannabis and help you find the cannabis that is going to be most medicinal for you most enjoyable for you maybe both all right well let's let's move on uh predictions for 2024 to the potential that and i would say the very uh strong potential that 2024 could bring uh rescheduling of cannabis at the federal level my son asked me dad do you have to work on christmas and i was like only if biden reschedules cannabis son there's so many cross currents in capitol hill um and you're so far away from it that it's really hard to know when anything's going to come out i think what was the latest that a bunch of redacted documents got put out and it gave the impression that you know, Schedule 3 is a done deal. It literally is just like sitting in a drawer somewhere waiting for the wheels to turn. And that's my understanding of how change percolates up from the bottom and how institutions are the last to move. So when they do, it is much of a foregone conclusion. So everyone is waiting for like the lag to catch up on Capitol Hill. I always said they should just schedule it 420. If we're, if we're making up schedules... Because, you know, everything is a construct. Um, we can continue to make up new ones. And cannabis is really its own thing. And maybe we can preserve everything great at the state and local level and put some guardrails on it at the federal level and call it a day for now. Well, you got my vote for uh, weed czar. I don't know that that's a cabinet level position just yet. Uh, you know, yes, as, as we to make clear. Um, when we talk about Schedule 1, Schedule 3, these are categories uh, created by the federal government as part of the Controlled Substances Act that, in essence, are supposed to broadly categorize different drugs in terms of, on the one hand, potential uh, medical efficacy. Is this a medicine? Does this treat ailments? And does it treat ailments relatively safely and relatively effectively enough to be prescribed by doctors. Category two, what is the profile for potential abuse of this drug? And cannabis, uh, since its uh, original placement in this system, has been in Schedule 1, which is the most restrictive category. It is a category uh, reserved for drugs with, quote, uh, no established medical use and, and not or, but and, uh, the highest potential for abuse. Now, you and I and everyone listening to this podcast knows that uh, putting cannabis in Schedule 1 is patently absurd. Um, you know, in any uh, clear-eyed look at the relative harm of cannabis, placing it alongside heroin as one example just simply does not make sense or reflect reality in terms of potential harms. And then on the medicinal benefits side, you know, the government's argument is, yes, we've accepted that certain cannabinoids, certain components of the plant, have medicinal use that explains why you can get a prescription for Marinol, which is just simply synthetic THC, uh, but they're not going to extend those medical benefits to whole plant cannabis. Um, so this rescheduling is long overdue. I would say, you know, th this is a very big issue. I think, you know, if this change does happen in 2024, it will be probably the most profound 
regulatory change in cannabis. Having talked with many experts, having read as much as I can on this subject, really, um, it, no one can predict. Are you ready to live with that? Are you ready to like, like have that happen? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I would say, you know, some of the dangers that people have been pointing out in terms of, hey, by uh, lessening some of the restrictions on this plant, you're also opening the door to institutions and organizations that have traditionally been very hostile to cannabis. And that would be anything from the pharmaceutical industry, uh, finding a way to come in and try to do a takeover on this plant. You know, I don't discount any of that thinking. I think we also really have to ask who is going to be writing and implementing these new rules, uh, because that is always where the power lies. And, you know, the fact that we are still, uh, you know, we, we started this podcast collectively patting this movement on the back for reducing cannabis arrests so greatly for changing public opinion so much as you alluded to those those numbers of public support for cannabis and especially for medical cannabis and so the idea that we are still fighting the federal government for this obvious recognition that the plant is medicinal and that the potential for abuse of this substance is relatively very low, that's also an indication that this change is coming from the people and not from these institutions, which means that perhaps these institutions uh, still do not have our best interests at heart as they create these regulatory frameworks. And these institutions are often um, indebted and enthralled to the pharmaceutical industry as one um, example of that. And so I think Obviously, moving from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3 on its face is huge progress, but we also have to be very, very uh, cautious in looking at the details of this and making sure that we are all stakeholders in mm. this process. And that, and that, you know, as they, as they say, uh, if you don't have a seat at the table, you're on the table. And I would also uh, say, you know, the law is what happens. And that's I, I think that's going to be really very, very true when it comes to uh, rescheduling cannabis. Schedule one's just so bad. It's upstream. Of, it's like the thing that all these other things tie into that were so bad, whether it's child protective services responses or medical care or like it's such an aberration. It has to go away. It can't stay schedule one. That's why I say schedule 420. Like, if you're afraid of Schedule 3 and Big Pharma, you guys need to have a big old Continental Congress. Hash out what Schedule 420 means. Pass it. Well, you heard it here, folks. Write to your elected officials and tell them you want to uh, ideally deschedule cannabis. But if we have to reschedule it, we're going to go to Schedule 420. And I don't know if you caught it, dear listeners, but serious journalist David Downs slipped in perhaps our last weed pun of the year as he says Congress will have to hash it out when it comes to It's a good verb. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that, this brings me to uh, one of my weed predictions for next year that I think is really fun and exciting and necessary and potentially really groundbreaking uh, for our culture, which is the spread of cannabis lounges, on-site consumption areas, whatever you want to uh, call it, we need a place to smoke weed uh, and also to eat edibles and to dab dabs and to do everything with cannabis uh, that we as a culture deserve to do to be on par uh, with alcohol, which is obviously a uh, much more potentially harmful substance. Uh, so tell me a little bit, David, you know, is, is that a prediction that you would agree with? And what's, uh, what's got you, you know, I see the fist in the air. So what's, what's got you excited about this segment of uh, cannabis world growing? Man, you are good enough. You are strong enough. You deserve us nice 
place, well lit place to smoke weed. Like we have the right to assemble and cannabis users after legalization continue to be denied this real fundamental, cool American right to be adults 21 and up and, you know, smoke weed on a lap, like a patio shouldn't really be under the purving of the the state to a certain degree, but it is. And so there's only really rare spots where you can get a license to operate a cannabis lounge and there's good ventilation and there's some security and it's just a real, real upgrade from that elemental form, that like natty, like couch and all that other furniture that they dragged into the dispensary with the stickered up mini fridge. I've seen lounges since, you know, 2010s and the way they are now in like West Hollywood at the Artistry Lounge, where there was a combo art opening, cannabis drop from Classics with Porus Walker. Um, that was just made me so proud and happy to be in California and just a singular um, experience on the art front and the THC front. Definitely check out that lounge, but Cal- uh, San Francisco's got lounges. West Hollywood has them. The LA proper does not. Las Vegas is the new spot that lounges are turning on, but every legalization state's going to have to fight for its right to as- peaceably assemble. And that's a real local fight. Sticky parts about them, you know, about smoking in an era where everything's going on smoking. If you don't, people are just going to do it anyway, and they, they will do it in the street or other places that are less optimal. Um, and if you do have a space for it, you know, you can really elevate both and you can get like a steak and then a joint brought to your table, you know, um, right there on Santa Monica Boulevard. You know, it just feels like as it should be like everyone's worthy of this. My, my first experience with a quote unquote uh, on site uh, consumption was like many people, certainly of my generation, uh, fortunate enough to travel a bit was in Amsterdam. And thinking back to that experience, it was really, truly mind-blowing for me. I I had been a daily weed smoker for more than a decade at that point, Um, you know. And so there was nothing new about weed. There was nothing new about smoking weed uh, or hanging out with people. But to do it in that way, uh, to be treated like a customer instead of a criminal... Um, you know, uh, emotionally that, that had a real impact. I think it had a huge impact in that a lot of people who went to Amsterdam and had that experience then went home and were really fortified in their desire, uh, to push for this change where they lived, whether it's legalization, whether it's having a place to smoke. Um, and then I think in the more, so I think that pushes the whole fight forward by putting a public face on this, um, But I think also really culturally, why I'm so excited about lounges and why I see such a huge potential in them is, you know, we really have two, uh, we really have two parts of cannabis culture, Um, people who have traditionally been a part of this culture for a long time, and who have been pushed out of the public sphere, Um, you know, uh, not welcomed. To go, even if you're at a concert, you can often be kicked out for smoking weed. And and that's really had the effect of taking people and further marginalizing them. Um, and then we have newer people who are just coming into cannabis in the legal era. They've never had that experience of being a part of weed culture. And we've reduced it down to go to a store, buy weed, go home and hmm. smoke. And yeah, I think no. I- creating these third places, these yeah. places for people to gather, that's going to allow uh, those of us who have been a part of this culture for a long time and have sort of the customs of cannabis uh, to share a, a venue and a place to bring those new people in and say, like, look, this is a very exciting new aspect of weed culture, but we want you to understand how we got here. We want you to understand, you know, what makes us a cohesive group of people aside from just loving this plant. Um, and I think that it's also going to help these um, communities that are more forward thinking about cannabis to be rewarded for that. So, you know, West Hollywood is an example in Los Angeles 
uh, has decided to push forward and move this, well, that's going to bring more people in. They're going to go to those dispensaries and lounges. They're going to uh, share that experience with their friends and on social media. Um, and that's going to show people, you know, yes, uh, we're fighting for access to this plant, but we're also deserving of a place in the larger culture uh, where we can gather and have a good time and create a social scene that is not based around alcohol, but is reflective of the weed experience. Do you have any any favorites that you want to um, recommend? Yeah, I'm going to, um, I love Barbary Coast Lounge and I was just at Mo Green's Lounge for an event. I'm going to try to do more breeder drops and grower drops in San Francisco at lounges and like have it run up to like SF Weed Week next year for 420 where different growers release new stuff at different lounges like one night a week for like a whole week before 420. And then another big 2024 prediction that is really going to affect the lives and the stash boxes of many people all over this country uh, is that we are probably going to see the 2023 farm bill uh, pushed into 2024 unless they uh, pass a farm bill in the next day. Uh, so that is in essence when all the regulation around hemp is worked out. The last time we had a new hemp bill that led to um, all of these uh, alternative cannabinoid, high CBD, high everything else uh, plants being, I don't know if they're being regulated as hemp, but they're certainly not being regulated as cannabis uh, in this current moment. So what do you see as the potential gains and what do you see as the potential dangers in the 2024 farm bill and how it might approach hemp and these alternate cannabinoids. I'd sort of question how much they'll ever be able to do now. Like everything that's happening around hemp is happening upstream of like regular regulatory attempts. It seems like, um, isn't there like Delta eight in Georgia truck stops and, you know, um, seeds are legal. And now they're like converting things back to Delta nine. I just got a beverage that said it, I'm Delta 9 and I'm completely legal and I'm 0.3% THC but there's five milligrams of THC here and you're like you know like you're seeing this right like it's a free-for-all and um half of the corner of the free-for-all there's like Kentucky hemp farmers and Republicans so it's not gonna stop right um and the FDA has like kept punted it's like CBD rules and I mean I I don't know how writing rules on paper really affects the planting of the cannabis hemp genome in North America anymore. When they first tried to ban it in 1930-something, the people were like, weed, the stuff that's growing along the railway ditches, you're going to try to make that illegal like you're going to try to make water illegal. So maybe we're returning to a state of nature with regard to the cannabis and hemp genome in North America. That is to say, growing everywhere in ditches much of it low grade. You just said it. They tried to tighten hemp rules and a bunch of unintended consequences happen. If um, trends persist next year, they'll be back at it again to try to tighten rules and unintended consequences persist. What's elemental is like people want their euphoriance, specifically THC. And like, I feel like they should be entitled to the real thing instead of like weird chemical syntheses of, of what they want. You know, and all of this stuff is kind of window dressing on people getting access to THC, I imagine. Um, I don't really know how much you would choose like a Delta 8 gummy from a truck stop if you have a dispensary and delivery services and pick up. We'll, we'll see. I guess we could look at Colorado, um, how well CBD and D8 does there. Um, but it certainly does well wherever you can't really get THC. That's the fate of it. Wherever there's no THC. Those people will be doing that. It's going to be a little of everything. Um, it's not going to abate. It's not going to be bridled. Um, maybe they'll try to look like they did something. Maybe someone will pay for an edge. But um, I don't know how much it really matters on the massive cannabidiol activity in the fields now. Cannabis, as we have understood it for literal millennia, is the gold standard of how to access these beneficial compounds.
Um, and anything that stands in the way of that or that diverts people to less known, tested, effective, and understood versions of these compounds is an impediment. And, and, and frankly, um, you know, I, I consider access to this plant to be an essential human right, first of all, because it's a fucking plant. And second of all, because when you understand, if nothing else, the medicinal benefits of this plant to be denied access to it in any form is beyond an overreach for the government into a kind of totalitarianism. I mean, it, 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 it's, it, it seems crazy to say it that way, but really, if you stop and for a second say, well, the government is denying me access to a proven safe and medicinal plant, you know, what else can you call that? Call it time to move. Yeah. Well, let's, you know, let's hope it does not come to that for all of us. And we'll no, it. I think it's trending the other way. I think we're going to have more cannabis freedom and we have more than ever. And yeah, I think we're, I've seen a dark age of cannabinoids recede. And then there's all the work being done to push it forward. So, so much to hope for and um, so much to mourn in terms of the unneeded pain and suffering of the endocannabinoid dark age, but we literally named this nervous cell signaling system after the weed because we found the weed first and then we found the receptors. We're like, yeah, that's what you, that's where that's going. <laughs> uh, you know, like that's how much it's with us. Like dogs, like canines, we've domesticated each other. So um, I'm rooting for the plant and I'm not worried about it. Absolutely. And if you find yourself ever, you know, in the position of advocating on behalf of this plant and on behalf of our uh, legal ability to access it safely, I think in a really important framing is always the onus is on the government to explain their actions in restricting this plant. The onus is not on us. That's literally what they're having to do again with the HHS review. Like, what? what? They're like, wait, 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 like, hmm. Didn't some new shit come out, you know, like since 1970? I think some new shit came out. They're like, yeah, so we found the endocannabinoid receptors, CB1, CBD2. We found anandamide. We found yada yada. <laughs> and, uh, you know, new shit has come to light, man. As the, as the, <laughs> as the Save the meme. Save that. That one's put that one in your pocket. Man, I've got certain information, all right? Certain things have come to light. And, you know... Has it ever occurred to you that uh, instead of, uh, you know, running around uh, uh, blaming me, you know, given the nature of all this new shit, you know, it, it, this could be a, a, a lot more uh, 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 complex. I mean, it's not just, it might not be just such a simple, uh, you know? What in God's holy name are you blathering about? I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. New shit has come to light. To, to bring this home and to talk about some really, uh, you know, nothing new about these substances, but uh, the idea that they could be moving into a decriminalized and even legalized and regulated framework is new shit coming to light, new exciting uh, developments in this world of... Uh, drug law reform. I'm talking specifically about uh, MAPS uh, petitioning officially just this month, the Food and Drug Administration to review MDMA, you may know as ecstasy, uh, assisted therapy as a treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. This is, uh, you know, the culmination of a decades long effort by MAPS and other activists to push for this recognition by the government to, uh, in essence, put it through clinical trials with the FDA. And moving in parallel to that, we have many states and municipalities looking at everything from a medicinal model for psilocybin, uh, magic mushrooms, if you will, and related psychedelic th uh, therapies to simply a decriminalization model of saying, um, you know, we're not going to necessarily create a regulatory framework around these psychedelics, but we're also going to remove uh, enforcement uh, 
incentives from law enforcement around them. So, you know, that to me is incredibly exciting on its own face. It's a mark of the progress we've made with cannabis now extending to even more potentially therapeutic substances. It's a continued rollback on the war on drugs uh, mindset. I've spoken pretty openly on this show about benefits I myself have gotten from medicinal and therapeutic use of these substances, um, which again, I think is a right that all of us uh, have and should push for. Yeah, we're here in the Bay Area with the entheogen movement, man. You can get whatever you need in capsule and any other type of form from like QR codes on the sidewalks in this city. Um, and people are reporting a lot of relief and there's obviously something there, there, and it's blocked the same way cannabinoid research was blocked. Some would say due to euphoria, paranoia or euphoranoia. Um, but I too, and you know, am the countless lead among the countless legions that can say, I took away insights from those experiences and I also have a lot of respect for them. So, you know, I want to see policies that reflect respect for entheogens. In New York with cannabinoids and decriminalization, people that just need to make money show up and kind of treat cannabinoids with with, uh, less respect than they deserve. And um, I want to see entheogens be exalted and respected, you know, um, as they've been to a lot of cultures over the, the years. And I don't want to see them sort of overly commercialized or um, in the hands of the wrong people either. Mushroom decrim hit the governor's uh, desk this year in California, and it was vetoed, but the legislature was there. And uh, this is the first time they've ever been there. And you, I'm sure people started talking about that in the 70s next to cannabis. So, you know, we're there. And there's something um, meaningful in psilocybin for society. And, you know, I, I think hopefully we can emerge the better for it quick reminder to please use these uh, powerful substances, plants, drugs, medicines uh, responsibly with forethought. Educate yourself uh, before you make any decisions around them. And also uh, just sort of an understanding that this change that we want in society, again, is going to come, I believe, through a combination of working the system running initiatives, running public education campaigns, lobbying politicians, all of the nuts and bolts actions of democracy that are required to change the law, to change these institutions. But on the same token, and maybe that's my last uh, weed pun for the year, on the same token, uh, an element of civil disobedience is going to be important in changing society as well. And, you know, if you could see my desk, you would see a package of uh, mushroom gummies that are uh, right. On the Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get them too? Oh, my God. Those things are wild. Uh, and on the one hand, you know, it's 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 professionally packaged. It's from what I understand, um, made to a pretty high standard. Um, but it is also a completely unregulated product. Um, yeah, dude. That's going to be true of any mushroom product that you find right now. So, you know, yeah. educate yourself as much as you can in general about psychedelics. Make sure that you make the best choices possible about what to source for yourself or whether or not yeah. to source something for yourself. Keep a good eye on set and setting. Understand that if you are going to operate in this gray market, in this unregulated market, that it is more it, it is more important to do so in a responsible and an ethical way uh, than than even in the regulated market because anything that goes wrong at this point is going to be one really unfortunate for the people involved but is also going to potentially uh, give people who want to stop this progress a way to push back um, as 
I'm 43. I've ner- learned enough about supply chains to have like reasonable questions about like, where is this from? Like who grew it? Who packaged it? When? I understand why we as a society erected regulatory regimes for like things we're going to put in our body around potency and purity and they're valid. Um, they're going to be around. Uh, Leafly's shroom content did amazing on Leafly this year. It was all the rave, all the rage. And um, it'll be back in the legislature next year. Um, I look forward to what psilocybin and the other psychedelics are going to teach us about consciousness and um, the neuroscience of it all. There are obviously going to be some key to unlock. We're really entering the endocannabinoid era of medicine, and right behind it will be some of these like psychedelics. I like to like keep it positive, and that's something to look forward to. Right on. Well, David, well, I want to before we wrap up, just thank you again for all of your work as a journalist uh, for cannabis, dating back many years for your uh, collegial good times that you and I have shared along the way uh, for your friendship and, uh, of course, for all the work that you're doing at Leafly. I strongly suspect that one year from uh, now, we will be back on these mics talking about the 2024 Leafly strain of the year. And I'm going to wrap it up on my end with one public service announcement, which is whatever strain you light up and smoke at midnight on new year's eve is gonna set the agenda for your entire weed year so hopefully you're listening to this and have a little bit of lead time before new year's eve and this is whether you're you know going out to bang pots and pans in the street or maybe staying home loner stoner style or with a loved one Make sure you pick out something special for that big ball drop joint uh, and uh, may that bring many, many weedy blessings into your life in 2024. All things considered, I would say 2023 was a pretty wonderful year in cannabis. We expanded our freedoms and we continue to push forward public support for ending these arrests. And so, um, you know, happy uh, Weedy New Year. And we will talk to you in 2024 here on Great Moments in Weed Weed History. History. Thank you, David. Happy New Year, everybody. Well, that's the show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you stuck around this long, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can put five on it at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. And that would really help us as we research, write, edit, and publish a new episode every Weedness Day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Beanstock, a.k.a. Bean. Special thanks to our sponsor, PAX. Go to PAX.com and use promo code GREATMOMENTS, all one word, for a big discount at checkout.